In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. It's a massive week this week. There's so many things to talk about, JB. We're going to have to be quick on all these topics if we want to get this done today. First of all, we're going to talk about the Argos turning 149 years old. We've got to talk about all-star voting that has begun. Which Argos should you vote for? The trade deadline has come and gone with very little to announce, but we'll address it anyway. Then there are a few initiatives coming up this week. The Argos tomorrow are going to be at Salvation Army doing a Thanksgiving uh, visit and giving food out to families uh, in need. Plus, there's the Tackle Hunger Program, the Pure Later Tackle Hunger Program at BMO Field this week, uh, where canned goods and, and donations can be made. There's a Pride Toronto event that's also going to be at the game. And we've got to talk about the game itself and the Major League Baseball schedule makers deciding to put the Blue Jays game at the exact same time as the Argos game. We'll get into that. And then there's a bunch of transactions. Long snapper Jake Reinhart has retired. We want to talk about that for sure. The Argos made a bunch of signings. Wide receiver Cyrus Holder, defensive back John Edward, Jared Brinkman, the defensive lineman, receiver Travell Harris, and a few releases that have corresponded uh, saying goodbye to fullback Joe Carbone and, and running back Adam Cofield. So that will all be coming up as well. Plus, we've got our usual assortment of things to get you ready for this matchup, this all-important matchup with the BC Lions. And it's a huge game for both teams. So the injury report, OCDC, one thing, predictions, fantasy advice, and of course, our CFL picks. All that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Happy birthday to the Argos, JB, 149 years old, the oldest professional sports franchise that has never changed its name. While we're, you know, while we're taking uh, a moment to wish the Toronto Argonauts a happy 149th birthday, I have an issue with the age of the Tiger Cats franchise, and I just want to sort of vent that a little bit here. The Tiger Cats are not older than the Argonauts. Now, they're there's a claim out there that they are but when you look into it like what happened is and this has been discussed on on social media too but what happened is a merger basically between two franchises and a name change at that merger and when you're talking about franchises that are bitter rivals which which they were to include both teams histories as now part of your history I think is just an odd thing to do like when you look at Tim Hortons Field and you see the the championships that were won when your organization didn't even exist. Like, I think it's one thing when a, a, a franchise moves and it's the same franchise, but to me, they have absolutely no claim and really have just existed since, I, I guess, 1950. So, yeah, Tiger Cats fans, you do not have the oldest professional football team that belongs to the Toronto Argonauts. Agreement, yay or nay? <laughs> yeah, I think it's... I think it's- pretty clear that uh, that they are fudging things a little bit um so it's good it's nice to have nice to have that title yeah i think it's i think it's really cool i, I think it's something that doesn't really get get talked about enough i think the the history of the argos are cool and if you like if you don't follow some of the amazing history accounts that are out there there's so many great great follows whether it's it's uh you know whether it's will from fancast who's got some great stuff uh bygone boatman is an amazing account to follow there's there's all sorts of gold out there with really cool argos history they have access to you know anything that there is anything that we still know they'll tweet about and talk about and post stats from games and information about players it's such a neat thing and to be able to dig into a history as rich as the Toronto Argonauts is is always fun the the all-star voting start uh, was a little bit rough JB there were a bunch of people missing on the ballots initially what do you think of the setup with only being able to vote for one lineman one defensive back uh, does that bother you the way it bothers me <laughs> Uh, no, I, I don't think these sorts of things generally bother me as much as they bother you. Um, <laughs> it's a little restrictive, for sure. It's obviously one lineman is is a bit ridiculous. One quarterback makes sense. One running back makes sense. Um, you know, linemen are units. Offensive linemen are units. It it feels a little bit, uh, um, yeah, restrictive for for those guys that they're going to be people who are definitely not going to get noticed. 
um, who should. So I would, I would, I would open up the wide receiver, offensive lineman, defensive lineman for sure. The other issue I had is that initially the players weren't all there. They, like I couldn't find Jamal Peters initially. I couldn't find Jameer Thurman on there. Guys that really should be in this conversation and they, they weren't available. Jack Kassara wasn't available for, for special teams. They've done a good job now of filling in some of these gaps. It's still not perfect, but there are more players available now than there were. And this is something new. They, they've been pretty good at responding. I, I vented in a, in a tweet about it and they talked about this being a new initiative and appreciated the feedback. Uh, and so, you know, that, I think that's all you can ask for for something new like this. But yeah, I'd love to see them expand it. There are some Argos in the, that need to be in the conversation. Who would you vote for on this all-star team that you think really deserves to be an all-star? Yeah, I think that um, for sure McLeod, I think, has, you know, he's, last week wasn't great. But on on it, in his totality, he, he has been an all-star quality quarterback uh, from, from where I'm sitting. Um, Winton McManus, of course, has been fantastic and, and, and maybe even league MVP-ish quality. Uh, Peters has really done very well. Obviously, picks are kind of flashy and, and draw the attention. But he's played well. And, you know, hey, man, picks are picks. And when you hit that gold, you should... You should get recognized as a defensive back, same way touchdowns for wide receivers. You know, I mean, it, it that's just it's a stat-driven game. So I'm I have no problem with Peters there, and uh, you know, I think for offensive line, I, I still think Bladek is one of the best offensive linemen uh, in the game. I, I think he is elite, and the unit, you know, sometimes leaks some oil, but uh, I I feel he is still uh, superb. I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think McLeod is is unquestionably an East All Star in, in terms of quarterback. I I can't put him over over Calaris. I, I think Calaris has had a better season. I think Nathan Rourke sweeps everybody away if he was still healthy, obviously. But in terms of the East, McLeod is is definitely an East All Star quarterback. I I don't yeah I I have a tough time with a lot of the other positions because when you're looking at one, I don't really know how to do it. But you're right, Bladek is. If you're just picking out the five, the if you want to just make a, an offensive line, five guys, the best five guys you've got, I would put Bladek at right guard for sure. But the way they've set it up, vote for one O-lineman. I don't really, I don't really know what that means in honesty. And so I guess, I guess I probably would put my vote for Bladek out there because he deserves to be one of the five, if that's what you're constructing. Wyndham McManus for sure at linebacker. He's the best will linebacker in the league. And I, I think it's a little bit tighter, probably, uh, with you know Enoch Wamba. I think probably would would lose out to to Thurman, but that's that's pretty close. And I do think Peters deserves to be uh, the representative for the defensive backs. Toronto's defensive backfield is excellent, but I think he has been the best defensive back. And let's not forget about Haggerty as a punter. Is there a better punter in the league than ha- in Haggerty? Like Calgary's obviously got an argument, but. I don't know. I'd, I'd say Haggerty is right there. It's definitely worth considering. And the one I'm still annoyed about is that Jack Kassar does not appear under the special teams players. Uh, it's not an option to to vote for him at the moment. And so the only Argo represented there is Daniel Adababoye. And so given the choices, that would probably be my vote. But I just feel like I feel like Jack Kassar uh, should be at least on the list. I think both of those guys have been phenomenal. And I would say, I would say uh, Haggerty, the safety, uh, should also be on that list for special teams players. The Argos have those three guys. Uh, all should be guys you can vote for. I don't know why they're so restrictive in that category for special teams players. I think all three of those guys at least deserve to be on the list. JB, let's get into this trade deadline stuff so the trade deadline came and went. There was not much action. There there never really is. There was the Alden Darby trade for Cedric Wilcott's Darby going back to the Blue Bombers. Not much else. There was some speculation that Bo Levi Mitchell might be traded. I know a lot of discussion amongst uh, Calgary fans and, and Ryder fans. And when I was in Calgary this past week, a number of people asked me if I thought the Argos would make a play for Bo Levi Mitchell, which confused me because I think at this stage of their careers, I think McLeod Bethel-Thompson is a better quarterback than Bo Levi Mitchell. And so that that didn't really make any sense to me unless you're wanting 
to have a reliable backup uh, with experience. But I, I just, I, I didn't see that as, as being at all, like it never even crossed my mind until I started getting asked by a number of people, where's that coming from, you think? Uh, I just think people don't like McLeod and yeah, he looked bad in Calgary and that's a bad matchup for him and it has been and, you know, people clamoring to bring Bo Levi, but it it certainly is not an upgrade on McLeod. I mean, if Bo Levi was so good, he'd still be playing in Calgary. I didn't. Doesn't make any sense. He's too old. He's he's not. We're, you're not going to use him next year, and you know that just uh, that's just a weird. I don't know. Kind of Calgary um, patronizing the Argos as a you know a little a little franchise. Were there any trades the Argos should have made? Is this something they should have actually done, or were they right in standing pat? Yeah, I mean, we talked. I don't. I don't even know who you would trade with. Most of the league is still in the running for a playoff spot. Um, even Edmonton is somewhat, really, realistically, Edmonton and Ottawa are the only two teams that might feel like they have no shot at all. And so that kind of narrows down your trading partners. And, I, you know, really, who are we going to trade for other than maybe another offensive lineman? I don't think anybody was going to trade us a starting offensive lineman. So I, I agree with their plan to just sign free agents. I think that's as good as a trade and keep churning that over and, uh, you know, keep bringing guys in to fill the spots because we, we don't have a gaping hole. I mean, some injuries have come up for sure, but. I wouldn't make a trade because hopefully most of those guys are going to come back. I think that's probably the Argos' belief too. Yeah, I think certainly it suggests they expect Winton McManus back. And we can talk about that a bit more when we get to the injury report. But at some point, they would expect him to come back. I think otherwise, maybe you would have seen a move for a Will linebacker. But even then, like, you know, looking, looking at what you get from, from Hoyt and Jones, I, I'm not sure. There might be four guys in the league that that you would trade for where you'd say, well, that's, that is really an upgrade. And those teams are teams that are in the mix and they're not going to trade their starting Will Backer uh, just because Toronto uh, has an injury. And it's just not worth it for the Argos if they think at all that Wendy McManus is going to come back. But even if he, even if he wasn't, I just don't think that the price would be right there. And Shane Ray replacing him on the defensive line, Again, you you find find me somebody that's that's going to replace Shane Ray in the league that a team's willing to trade away. They're just not a lot of those guys. And just on the topic of offensive linemen, with them signing Ryan Hunter, it really is no longer a position of need. You've got a lot of good depth there, and now you've got a season's worth of play from McKellar. There's still an outside chance that Nicastro comes back. You're hopeful that Isaiah Cage can come back at some point, although I think that's seeming less and less likely as the weeks go by. But I, I just don't think they're short of of depth on the offensive line. And it's a unit that's working. Bringing in a new piece, it's already enough to bring in one new piece. To bring in more new pieces here, I, I just don't, I don't think that's worth it. There's too much chemistry that needs to be built with offensive linemen. And it's just not something I would risk. And not only that, who's giving you a starting caliber offensive lineman anyway. So yeah, I think the Argos were correct ultimately in in not making a move. And that's not really any surprise. And it's, there's a reason that most teams haven't made a move, didn't make a move. Like you said, it's it's just not really set up for that. This trade deadline isn't an active one. There's a reason you don't have everybody diehard CFL fans staying home from work on CFL trade deadline day. All right, getting into some of these initiatives this week. So it is uh, nice to see some of these events that the Argos are able to get back to, some of the charitable endeavors that they're, that they're up to. And tomorrow, Thursday, being tomorrow, we're recording this on, on Wednesday night, uh, the Toronto Argonauts are going back to doing something that had been uh, an annual tradition, and that's visiting the Salvation Army at Harbor Lights Ministries and assisting and serving a hot Thanksgiving meal to families and individuals in need. And so not only are they doing that, they're you know going to be there for photos, autograph signings for families and children in attendance. JB, it's, it's awesome to see them do stuff like this, but it doesn't just stop there. This is transitioning into... Uh, some stuff on game day as well, because this is Pure Later Tackle Hunger Week uh, for the Toronto Argonauts. 
And I know this was something, this was, uh, Mike Hogan reminded me in a, in a tweet this week that this was something that Chris Schultz was really proud of being involved with. And if Argos fans, you know, just for, for doing it anyway, but if you're looking for more motivation, knowing that Chris Schultz, um, this meant the world to him, uh, you know, bringing some canned goods to, to donate at BMO Field this week or to be able to make donations uh, at BMO Field this week as, as you enter uh, is certainly a, a fantastic idea. But it's, it's great to see the Argos back involved with these kinds of things this year. Yeah, it's great. They, you know, we've talked about how these are, uh, you know, men worthy of, uh, of a lot more attention and, uh, and, and sort of respect in the community for, for everything that they do, the hospital visits and now this uh, uh, charitable event. It's, you know, I hope Argo Media does a nice job of capturing it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to see their connection to the community. It's, it's too bad it's not uh, publicized more by, uh, you know, TSN. And there's a Pride Toronto event uh, that is going to be going on at the game as well. So there's some guest performers, special guests. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I love the work that Toronto, the Toronto Argonauts have done around Pride that the CFL has done as well. I think that's something that I think that's something that has improved significantly over the last few years. And everything from from changing logos and having the rainbow logos in June to events like this at the game, I, I think it's fantastic. So I'm excited to see how that goes down on Saturday. Yeah, it, it's it's a step in the right direction. I I don't see why the CFL. You know, one of my frustrations we've talked about in the past years is the CFL should be at the forefront of almost all of these movements for equality and justice you know they don't have billions at stake and so i don't see why the cfl is not less conservative more connected to to these fights i, th- I think it, it should do more of it. it it has the ability to do it. it it's one of the advantages of being a smaller league you you're not beholden the way the big leagues are to to a lot of money and and in some ways the CFL is still behind the NFL in terms of um, gay pride and gay rights so I, it, it's good I'm glad to see it I'd like to see a lot more uh, I'd love to see more of a direct partnership um, you know with the pride you know and you can play organizations and a variety of other organizations so it's good to see but let, let's have more so JB I understand you want to fire the Major League Baseball schedule makers into the sun. <laughs> well, uh, look, it's it, I don't I don't really blame the Major League Baseball. Like they don't know about the CFL, they don't care about the CFL, and you know they're a multi billion dollar organization, and they're they're not concerned about a Canadian only football league. Um, I do think the CFL probably should have planned to be a little more flexible about this you, you know we've known that the jays are likely to be in the playoffs uh for at least a couple of weeks and so this was a fairly predictable scenario it wasn't i know they didn't announce the time and the date till now but you know this was pretty pretty um likely to happen i, I would have liked to have seen the cfl to be a little more flexible here to try and get the argos at one but uh, <laughs> the CFL does not seem totally driven to create Argo-friendly scheduling. So it does not surprise me that they didn't think that was a big deal. But having a, a, you know an Argo game the exact time that the Blue Jays are in the playoffs you know, for the first time in, in six years is uh, terrible timing and, uh, and will have a significant impact on a crowd that, you know, they have a hard time pulling at the best of times. So that, you know, that's, that's unfortunate. I would have liked to have seen TSN and, and the CFL to be a little more light-footed about how they move their game around. I hope that isn't their ego. Because, look, Major League Baseball is bigger than the CFL. There's no shame in that. You know, they are objectively <laughs> are a much bigger organization. It's okay to move your stuff to fit around it. 
Personally, I would like to have seen the game move to one. Moving to seven isn't possible because that's the Blue Bombers is the second part of the doubleheader. And it does break up the doubleheader that way. But like, look at this TSN schedule. They've got some college football on at the same time, but not, nothing that's a, a huge draw. And they've got college football on at the same time as the Argos game at four anyway. So yeah, it's well, all they like have that's five channels. a concern. Right. And so having it at one o'clock to me would make sense. One, I love it because this is a great way to get back at the BC Lions who keep making the Argos play at 10 p.m. Eastern. How about making the BC Lions play at 10 a.m.? I think uh, Pacific time, that would be a way to get some payback. But, you know, more more realistically, I, I just think it, there could be a real opportunity here. You have the Argos game at one instead. And then why not Why not have make an arrangement, find a, a way to uh, license an agreement where you have the Jays game then at four o'clock playing on the scoreboard, playing on the, the Jumbotron there, keep your concessions open and, uh, and you know, make that part of the event as well. I don't see why you couldn't do something like Look, that. Especially a game is your first home game in a month. You're doing the Pride event. Uh, we're going to talk about the food drive. There's a lot going on. And to just leave it in that kind of the shadow of the space station of Major League Baseball, you know, I think is a missed opportunity and could, could have been fixed. You know, I, I think there's, there's no reason they couldn't have made some preemptive plans, in my opinion, you know, a month ago. These are all predictable things that the that the Jays were going to make the playoffs didn't didn't come out of nowhere. And it didn't like we were together when we found out the schedule. And I don't think it surprised either one of us because it just feels like the Argos have not been able to catch a break this year, whether it's a rescheduled concert such that Drake and Lady Gaga are playing at the exact same time as the Argos game or the go train having to shut down or uh, being up against, uh, well, you've got the CNE, which I think both hurts and helps, but it just seemed like every Argos game, there was some major event. And that's part of, that's part of living in the city of Toronto where there are a billion things going on and the Argonauts aren't necessarily at the top of most people's list, but man, they, they've had terrible luck this year. So when that came out, ugh. unfortunately they played the Mariners and that moved the game to four and, and here we are. Yeah. And just for people that I, I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter from other CFL fans saying, you know, typical Argos fans complaining about their bad luck. This, believe me, if this were in your CFL city, other CFL fan, you would be just as upset if the Flames or Oilers or Canucks or Jets. If you're out West, imagine it's like the best pumpkin judging contest that ever was and you're like i don't want to miss the pumpkin judging and it's like i get it i feel you so that's all we're saying is sometimes you got to move around the pumpkin i was talking about nhl playoff games not the, well, the cow i mean it's, pie all, I think it's all the or, same analogy hmm, okay i'm sure we won't hear about this one again let's talk about some of these transactions there's a lot of them First and most importantly, we got to spend a couple of minutes here talking about long snapper Jake Reinhardt, who is retiring and or has retired. Uh, this this is sad for me because, well, one, he was the, I guess, elder statesman with the Argos in terms of not in terms of his age, but in terms of years spent. He was first with the team in 2013 and then and then signed, you know, went, went back to back to school for a year, I believe, at that point, and then resigned with the Argos in, in 2014. Uh, Mike Hogan's got a really nice piece on him on uh, Argonauts' uh, website. And he's retiring. He's got an opportunity to be uh, part of a firefighter program um, in Guelph, and that's just something that you don't turn down. These you know players have to think about life after football. And Jake Reinhardt, who's gone through, uh, a, you know, he went through such a serious elbow injury last year to the extent where he almost lost his arm and to have that same elbow injured this year I think at that point you've got to immediately start thinking you know well is it time for me to start you know the rest of my life here the the second career and you know being a firefighter I think is such an amazing opportunity so to be a part of that program I, it made complete sense, and you read you read Mike Hogan's article, and it it, uh, it, it brings about a tear. Uh, he he was such a such a fun Argo to cheer for, and 
I'll I'll never I'll never forget how awesome he was at practice. Not just in you know saying saying hi and and waving and just you know greeting any fan that came to practice. Always, always, uh, he was wonderful with my kids as well. Anytime I brought them to practice, he would always come over and say hi or give them a wave or throw a football, something like that. Uh, just a, a wonderful human being and terrific with Argos fans and a fan favorite. And I, I don't think it's I don't think it's often that a long snapper becomes a, a fan favorite. It's such it's such an unheralded position because you don't usually hear about them unless something's gone wrong. And with Jake Reinhardt, you heard about him because of all the positive things. So really sad to see him go. And then in terms of signings, we've got four new Toronto Argonauts. JB, let's let's roll through these here. Do you want to start us off by by talking about uh, defensive lineman uh, Jared Brinkman. What do you see when you look at, at Brinkman's tape? <laughs> um, I, I'm excited, to be honest. Um, he is a run stopper, nose tackle. Officially, his measurements are six feet. He looks a little under six feet. Um, 290 to 300 pounds. He's a big guy. Um, surprisingly quick. You look at his film. Uh, he played for uh, Northern uh, Illinois. And he is quick, fast. Like he has some sacks. He he some good penetration. He runs down some plays. Um, I was really excited when I watched the film. He was uh, on the radar uh, for the NFL draft. wasn't expected to get drafted, but was seen as a as a you know something you know sort of ceiling as a a high interest free agent or potentially just a free agent. He ended up going to a couple of camps. He ended up going to jet camp um, and got cut. He's, he's a little light to be a nose tackle in the NFL. So I don't, I don't mind that being cut because you're not going to play at 290 as a nose in the NFL, but in the CFL, I think he, you know, it might be the perfect fit for him um, because he's got quick feet. And uh, I was, yeah, I was really excited to watch his tape. I think he absolutely, uh, can be a contributor. Um, he he played uh, in the FCS, but he was seen as the number four uh, defensive lineman coming out of the FCS for the draft, and a number of those guys went uh, to the NFL. Um, so you know, I think I think all those signs point to a guy who who the, the, the classic traditional, not quite big enough for the NFL, but might really be something in the CFL. So I. I would be surprised if he didn't contribute um, a little bit. Obviously, he's going to be a rook and he's coming in, and we have a you know veteran laden line. But uh, I like him. I, I was I don't often get excited about these signings, but he was um, you know a two time MVP in his football conference. Looks like a player to me. Yeah, there's good football too. Missouri Valley's no joke. Like winning Defensive Player of the Year twice is is a huge achievement. Yeah, the, I was just looking at the Argos have him listed at at six two two ninety, and it's not unusual. I think every Argo listed yeah, he's, is. He's definitely not six two. No, he's not. And just you see him at, at practice. Uh, he stands out. He's he. This is a very large run stopping man uh, in a fire hydrant sort of way. This is not somebody that you want to run into. But I look forward to him. I, I love the the combo of you know being able to take out Oakman and put in Brinkman something like that. Just as a as an extreme sort of change of style uh, is really interesting. I think that gives Coach Mace a lot of flexibility, but I'm, I'm not sure if the contribute, you know, if he's going to contribute this year or if, if this is leading to next year, well, I guess we'll see how fast he's able to acclimate himself to the Canadian game. But I do think this is, I, you know, this isn't just a nothing signing. I don't think. No, I, I thought his first step, I was really taken with his first step on film. Let's talk about the two receivers that the Argos brought in. So Cyrus Holder, Travel Harris, uh, let's go with Cyrus Holder first. So uh, Cyrus Holder uh, he's uh, from Duquesne, uh, 6'3", about, about 200 pounds. Really nice speed. So he ran a 4.48 uh, at, at his pro day. But what I dug out of there, which I think is way more impressive than the 4.48, which is pretty impressive on its own for a, a tall receiver, he ran a, a 2.5320 split. And so that's that's your time at, at 20 yards. 2.5.3 is extremely fast for anybody, not just a 6.3 receiver. Like that's faster than Jamar Chase's uh, 40 time. That's a really quick time. And, and yet his three cone is kind of slow. And so I, I guess my, my thought with that is 
it's just a case of maybe the he didn't stick in the NFL because of a change of direction or something like that. But again, his his tape is fantastic. Uh, he was a first team All NEC uh, two years in a row uh, with with the Dukes. Sixty receptions, one thousand one hundred twenty yards, thirteen touchdowns in fifteen games. That's that's huge. And to lead the NEC in receiving yards per game. Uh, two straight seasons. Those are the great measurables. And I know we're talking about Duquesne. You're not talking about like LSU. But, you know, then to get a look with the Bears and getting in touch with some of the guys who covered him in Chicago, they said they just, you know, it wasn't that he did anything poorly necessarily at camp, but they just had other guys that shone a little brighter. And so uh, they didn't feel he was unfairly cut and they didn't feel like he he blew it or anything like that. It just, at that level, it's it's such a, a fine difference and it could just be, you know, one route you ran or or whatever else. But he didn't stick on with Chicago, but that's Toronto's game. This is an interesting guy. Now, my concern with this is as soon as I saw this signing, I immediately thought, I wonder if we are not going to see Eric Rogers again this season. Because you look at sort of his his height and size and style and it looks like that might be the type of player you're looking to replace. Maybe not. Maybe it's just, hey, we've got this great receiver available. Let's bring him in. But uh, I don't know. This was this is prior to the the Coxie injury, and so I I I just worry that that's why we've got the signing. But the bright way of looking at it, I guess, is that uh, yeah, he's he's a heck of a player. So um, just watching him in practice, um, you can see that speed. You can see you know the interest in him. He's you know, really long. Uh, he's got a, a great catch radius. So, yeah, I'm excited to see him as an Argo. The other receiver, Travell Harris. This is a guy you're going to like, JB, because of his return ability. He's like the opposite of Cyrus Holder uh, in that he's 5'8", uh, 185. Ran a similar 40, 449, uh, but his pro day numbers generally aren't as good. Like his three cone is, is oddly slow for what he looks like on film. On film, he looks like, he looks a lot like Brennan Banks, actually. He's got that really fast change of direction. He's really stuck, like tough to stay with, great route runner. He's always open, whether it's man or zone. He's got a great instinct for finding space. And he's got great separation because he he does seem to change direction immediately. That's why I don't get some of his pro day numbers. He just didn't seem to have it. Uh, drops were an issue, but I don't really see Harris as being a guy that's going to be fighting for receiver playing time. I think this is a kick return, punt return guy that they're looking at because he uh, set records uh, playing for Washington State for kick return yardage. Uh, fantastic kick returner, fantastic punt returner. That's where I'm most interested in seeing him. And again, watching him at practice, it's just you couldn't be more different in terms of styles from he to holder. Uh, the change of direction is elite. Uh, he can stop and start. Uh, like nobody else on, on the team, I don't think. So I'm excited to see if they put him back there, returning punts, returning kicks. He's got a few Canadian special teams rules to learn first, I guess. But after that, he should be ready to go. The next guy we're going to talk about is defensive back uh, John Edward. This one is one I'm excited about too, because I had been pulling for him in the CFL draft this year. He's one of the guys, if you remember any of our draft preview shows, I was really interested and I felt like he would be a great fourth or fifth round pick. He he wasn't drafted. And the reason why I think is that his weight was really low coming into the combine. I think he weighed in at 161 and his playing weight typically is around 180, 185. And that's what they've got him listed as. The story with Edward is kind of an interesting one. So he's, he's uh, from Florida, Played, I think he played at Henderson State and then ended up after that coming up to Carlton and playing three years with the Ravens. And he played on he uh, played on that team with Hoyt and Kassar uh, and was a fantastic shutdown corner with the Ravens as well. A uh, good special teams contributor too. And so I think it, you know, just looking at, he ran a 4-5 as pro day. Like his, his numbers are good. It's just that weight thing probably scared a lot of teams off. They're like, why does this guy weigh 160 pounds? As a DB, we can't have that. But... Uh, his his weight is back up, and so if you're if you're looking at a 185 pound Edward, this is definitely a, a player you want on your team. And because he spent three years at Carlton, he counts as a national player, which I think is is a really nice steal for them uh, to bring in a football player with with his caliber and have it uh, have him uh, play as a national. I think is is amazing. So 
great signing in my mind. Uh, and a guy that, you know, we talked about the special teams issues the Argos have had in terms of shutting down gunners. That's a job that Edouard can do. And so maybe that's what this pickup um, is for. Maybe that's why he's been brought in, not necessarily to see time on the field as a DB, but out on special teams doing the job that no one seems to be able to do yet in keeping other teams gunners off the Argos return men. And then the sad side of this, players had to be released. Uh, Joe Carbone, the fullback, Adam Colfield, the running back. Colfield wasn't wasn't here for very long. I, I it's still it's upsetting because it's sort of a sentimental thing with with his dad Tim being a three time CFL All Star, being a former Argonaut. It was worth a shot for sure, but obviously he didn't jump off the page enough, and so uh, he was one of the guys that uh, that had to be released. And Joe Carbone. Did everything that was asked of him. Uh, didn't really turn in any stats from a, an offensive standpoint. But that's Coach Dinwiddie doesn't really use the fullback that way. Like you look at Declan Cross's numbers pre Coach Dinwiddie and post Coach Dinwiddie, they're they're very different. Uh, and it's just not an offensive style that really requires the fullback to you know run routes, catch passes, um, even line up in the backfield very much. They're used typically as blocking tight ends, but. They're really not thrown to. So, yeah, Carbone, he's a great player. Uh, he had the right attitude. He did everything right, did everything that was asked of him. But I think Coach Dinwiddie realizing this is an offense that can function without a fullback and Cross is your guy. And if Cross is, it goes down, they've proven that they went on a three-game winning streak with no fullback dressed. So uh, when you sign all these guys, someone's got to go and fullback makes sense. But you've got to be thrilled. And I know you're a big churning the bottom of the roster kind of guy. This These moves, like this week of excitement, this has to be exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, I, I feel bad for the guys that, you know, they get moved out. It's 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 a rough business that way. But, uh, you know, we've, we've spoken about this before. It, it, it's smart. It's smart football to constantly be churning the bottom three, four guys on your roster to see if you can catch lightning in a bottle. To be honest, most of those guys are about the same. So if you can find that one returner or that one guy who can, you know, be a special teams uh, star or or even even a, like a, a you know number two on the depth chart, that's that's amazing. So yeah, I would I'm all for like three new signings every week. It's injury report time, JB, and we have quite a bit to talk about, as we always seem to. But let's start with Wendy McManus and Shane Ray. So Shane Ray, after Argo's practice yesterday, we were told that Shane Ray is is done for the season. It is a, a bicep injury that's that's going to take him out for the rest of the year. One thing I want to say about Shane Ray is that you know how much he means to the guys on the team just based on the way they reacted when he was injured. You saw him on the sideline in that game. I remember looking across the field with my binoculars from the press box, just trying to find where Ray was after learning that he'd been injured. I think it was Matthew Shinetti that that said he was he was out for the game. And I didn't see the injury occur. I still don't even know at this point when it happened. Uh, that's something I probably should have asked yesterday. And there he was on the sideline with um, with a sling. And I saw so many coaches and defensive players come up and give him a hug. And to me, that meant two things. One, it showed how much he was appreciated by his teammates and how much he was loved by his teammates. But it also suggested to me the seriousness of this injury. And I think everyone knew at that point what this was and what that meant. And you could see that in the player's reaction. But what I loved seeing at practice is how involved he was. He was there at practice with his sling on, right in there coaching up the younger guys, giving everything he could in every drill and every rep, trying to be as much a part of the team as he could. And you don't always see that from guys who are injured at the end of the year, who are out for the rest of the year. Um, it's actually kind of uncommon. And just, so to see him like that was amazing. And to see him become a coach, essentially. And, you know, we don't know what the rest of his career um, is going to look like, whether or not that was his last game as a Toronto Argonaut, who knows whether that's his last CFL game again, who knows, but um, it was wonderful to see him out there with the guys and similar with Wendy McManus. Now I do expect him back and there, we haven't been told for sure that, that he's going to come back, but uh, there seems to be an expectation of that, both from, from coach Dinwiddie and just sort of seeing again, talking to players and, and seeing what their reactions were. This is an MCL injury. 
But they're hopeful that he can return at some point, whether that's for the playoffs or whether that's for the last game of the season. We'll have to wait and see. He's probably, would you say most valuable defensive player? I think we'd say best defensive player this year. Most valuable, though? Uh, Yeah, I think so, to be honest. I think he is their most valuable player. I don't think there's any way around it. It's going to be a big loss. I think his... Um, his physicality, his ability to be all over the field, his ability to to play the pass, his ability to rush the quarterback, to be the the heartbeat of that defense on the field. It, it's a huge loss. Um, you know, it, 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 it's going to be a challenge to – they won't be the defense they were with him for sure. I think they can still be a good defense. And they showed that for most of the Calgary game without him, but – uh, that's a big that's a big loss. I, I I don't think we can underestimate that. Other injury news: Jamal Peters is back practicing full for two days this week, uh, recover from the concussion, and so he's expected to go. Uh, guys that are, are a bit iffy at this point: Devaris Daniels hasn't practiced yet this week, and that is of some concern um, with a, a hip issue. We saw him seemingly aggravate that on. The second deep ball that was just a little bit too far for him against Calgary, and he just seemed to overextend trying to get to that ball and and pulled up a bit lame after after that and and came out. And so I assume that's what it is. Hopefully they're just being overly cautious and he can actually go, but we gotta wait on that. And Demonte Coxey hasn't been able to practice and he I I'm I'm I think I'm positive at this point that he's not gonna play this week with a foot injury i know they're still doing some tests on that and we'll find out the extent of the injury they're hoping that that there's no break or anything in there that's going to take weeks and weeks but it it seems like a pretty significant foot injury uh other than that it's mostly good news trevor hoyt was back to practicing full josh Haggerty was was practicing full as well and everything you know pointing in the right direction for those guys maurice carnell was limited both days but i think he's going to be able to go and there's a little bit more flexibility now with the defense with shaq richardson being healthy and priester is back uh, running around fully healthy one concern that showed up today was uh, deshaun amos who was practicing full yesterday uh, tweaked his ankle in a 12 on 12 rep just kind of uh, seemed to get his his cleats caught in the turf a little bit and uh, he continued playing, didn't come out, but he was clearly favoring that ankle. And I think they're probably, they probably held him out today just as a precautionary measure, but I would expect him to play. But again, if he doesn't, the Argos should be okay, given the number of guys, a number of DBs that have come back in recent weeks with Priester and Shaq, and hopefully Carnell can go full as well. So I will have a better sense of that tomorrow, but for the most part, I, it's, it's better than it has looked some weeks. For the BC Lions... The big concerns for them have to be Oban Guachum, who hasn't been able to practice. He missed the game last week. Uh, he's been out all week this week. I don't expect him to play. And Josh Banks, uh, who's usually lined up right beside him on the nose, uh, didn't practice yesterday, was limited today. If he can't go, that is going to be a real problem for uh, BC's strong side of the defensive line. And so those are the guys I have my eyes on. Uh, defensively, they've got a lot of issues in their defensive backs. Uh, guys that are expected to play but are really banged up, and they do have a couple guys out. And then offensively, they're going to be without Lucky Whitehead this week. We know Brian Burnham is also down. And, you know, to go without those two weapons is a big deal. So, yeah, this this is a very beat-up BC Lions team. And you can, you know, how it was this week for Toronto playing Calgary – Back-to-back games against Calgary really did a number on the BC Lions, and then playing Ottawa this week was was sort of it because um, they've they've lost a lot of important players. All right, it is time for your favorite segment, JB. It's OCDC. Let's start it with the bad guys, JB. You are the defensive coordinator for the BC Lions. How are you shutting down? The Toronto offense that was shut down pretty effectively last <laughs> yeah. week. Yeah, I've watched the Calgary film. Um, I, I don't think you can duplicate the Calgary film because they're they practice against the Toronto essentially against the Toronto Argonauts every game or every week. So that that's an advantage that that BC won't have. But you you watch it. You're gonna you're gonna try and play that tight man defense if you can. Uh, on those receivers, you're going to try and get after the quarterback and get him off rhythm. 
Um, you know, I think those are those are your. If you can do those two things, you're going to have a lot of success. I, I don't think it's very complicated. Toronto doesn't really have a player you need to highlight to to watch out for. Um, so, like defensively, if I'm the Lions, you know, you're if you're hoping to get home with three men again, and you're filling the secondary with players, and you're basically daring Toronto to run the ball 25 times and to see if they have the you know the stamina or what have you to to punish you for the light box um I'd be really surprised if they didn't at least come out playing that kind of ball I think that's that's definitely what you you do to stop a, a, a pass first team for the BC offense I my plan is not what they're going to do, but I really feel strongly about this. So they're down Whitehead and Burnham. That's huge, but they've had some really good play from, well, Rhymes has been amazing this season, and they've had really good play from Hatcher when Burnham was down earlier in the year, and I, I think he could really be a go-to guy. I like Katoy as well. I would put all three of these guys on the same side. I wouldn't move guys over, but they're going to. I think you're going to see Hatcher lined up in the boundary slot, uh, you might, I don't know, yeah, you probably leave Rhymes and they'll probably leave Rhymes and Katoya on the field side, but I would put all three of them on the field side. And the likelihood is that the safety is going to cheat to that side anyway, but you know that the Argos are so zone heavy. I would come out with all sorts of trips zone beaters, and there are a billion trips zone beaters. I would even put that that sort of field side trio to the boundary side, have them operate in short space. You know that you're going to see a, a ton of, of cover three cut from the Argos. And, and I would just come up with variations off all of the trips concepts they've been running all year, just with little tweaks. And I think you're going to find some space in there. We saw a couple busts from the Argos DBs against Calgary last week, and we hadn't seen any in a while, but they've had a lot of moving pieces. So I think that's the, that's how I'm going to start setting up my attack. I'm going to go to the trip side and really feature Rhymes, Hatcher, Katoy. Now, to complement that, I want to attack the middle because without Wyndham McManus uh, playing the Will Backer spot, there is a drop-off. And I want to try and draw in whoever's playing Will Backer for Toronto this week, probably Hoyt. Uh, and so I want I want draws, I want middle running back screens, and I want to power run it up the middle and force... Muamba to do all that work, force him to to compensate for someone else. Because if he ends up helping uh, because McManus is not there, that's going to open up stuff the other way. That's going to open up counters. That's going to open up misdirections that he's not, he can't do both. He can't cover both. And so that's how I would attack the Toronto Argonauts this week. All right, flipping sides to the good guys, JB, what's your defensive plan for the Argos? Uh, if you watch BC versus Ottawa, um, Vernon Adams had a heck of a game. I think you have to play Good. I don't think you have to do anything special, especially with BC down so many weapons. I think you just have to play really good fundamental football. So you keep Adams in the pocket. You can't let him roll out. He loves to roll out. He wants to roll out. You have to keep. You have to set those edges. Keep him in the pocket. Um, you got to watch out for his QB keep. Um, so you have to keep. You have to keep that clamp down so he can't get outside and get a free first down. Um, in terms of the running back, they're probably going to want to test that underneath, especially without McManus. I think you have to make sure that you're all over that running back in the backfield, not allowing free releases, not allowing free, you know, check down passes that turn into 25 yard plays. But Vernon Adams wants to throw the ball deep. He wants to throw it 35 yards. Uh, you just have to take that deep pass away from him and force Vernon Adams to throw, you know, to play like Arbuckle, you know, throw 10 passes in a row. And that's, to me, that's how you keep Vernon Adams. You don't need to sack him, keep him in the pocket, make him matriculate his way down the field. Don't give him the 35 yard uh, bomb. Cause that's what he is looking for, especially if he rolls out, you know? So I think if you play, if you play good fundamental football and you force Vernon Adams to, I know he he threw seventy percent, but uh, I, I st he's still Vernon Adams. You know, I still don't believe he is going to uh, nickel and dime you to death. So that's that's where I'm coming from. You know, very very straightforward. You know, they have a nice running game too. I don't think you can ignore their running game, but just straight up football. Set your edges. 
nice deep coverage, take away that deep pass, and see if he can throw 10 passes in a row. The last time Vernon Adams came to BMO Field was the the home opener for the Argos this season, and he came in as the starter for the Alouettes and left as the backup. And they had a really good game plan designed for him, I felt, and then it kind of had to change on the fly when Trevor Harris came in after what was really unfair to Vernon Adams. He was pulled after like four passes or something. I think he went two for four and and got pulled from the game. I don't see that sort of threat, that anything like that happening this week with him, so... Um, I think he is going to be the guy I'm interested to see. I, I like your game plan, and I do think that's how I do think that's how Coach Mace is going to come out and play Vernon Adams, um, and just see if he can show patience that he traditionally hasn't been able to show. Yeah, I don't. You don't want to get into chasing him, you know. I, I, he, you don't have to sack Vernon Adams. Just let Vernon Adams, you know, force Vernon Adams to be the pocket quarterback, and I think you're you're going to be in a good you're going to be in good shape. My plan for the Toronto offense is one that I typically hate I because I don't really believe in it usually. I do today. I think they have to run to set up the pass. I, I shiver saying that because I don't think that's typically necessary in the CFL. I think it's needed here. Calgary played Toronto with a five-man box last week, almost exclusively. When they're rushing three, you had five in the box, and you just can't, you can't play... You, you can't throw the ball with a five-man box. You can't throw the ball against a three-man rush. It's it's just not it's not possible to. With eight or nine dropping the coverage, you're not going to win that. So they need to force BC. If BC comes out with that plan, and like you said, I think they, they would be fools not to, at least to start with, then I think you have to force them to bring another man into the box. So it has to bring with with running A.J. Olette, and you have to see some success from them. The offensive linemen have to know how dire this is because if you can't run effectively against that that light box, then it's over. Now, they and I think they can because they could last week. They were able to run effectively against Calgary. It's just the problem with the CFL is you can't only run. You've got to be able to do other things too. So it just has to be so successful, though, that BC has no choice but to come out of that five-man box, add another guy, and now you can start with some play action and, and throwing the ball around. And I think the the cards do play out very nicely for the Argos. We talked about in the injury report, Guachem and Banks potentially being out. That's the side you attack. Even if Banks can play, and I think he's probably going to try to play, run at him, run at Banks, run at that at that strong side because they're not nearly as good as the starters that were in there. And we know Banks isn't, isn't fully healthy. So that's where you attack. That's where you, you uh, get a really nice matchup potentially with, um, you know, with, with some really good run blockers that you've got there, whether that's Allen uh, to that side or whether they're on the other side. And, and, uh, and you've got Hunter, who's a really nice run blocker too. So force Jordan Williams to be a full-time run stopper, force them to keep six in the box, and then you can go after the DBs. We talked about the DBs are banged up. I, I like those matchups too, just not when there's eight or nine in coverage. So I think that's how Toronto gets it done this week. What's your one thing, JB? Well, I am running out as we get late into the season. And for the most part, the Argos have been really good at accomplishing it. Uh, I think I'd have to go back to one. I would like to see BD get back on track. I'd like to see him go perfect. Um, conversions and field goals. Let's have a... Let's have a good night heading into the home stretch here from BD. Kind of dial back in and uh, get that get that mojo going again. It was about this time last year when he went on a run. Remember that Thanksgiving game in Hamilton, and he kicked that game winner, and then seemed not to miss a field goal until the East final. And even then, I think he went like five for six or something ridiculous. And so this would be the time of year where I think Toronto fans really need to see. Boris Beatty go on fire again. So yeah, I think that's a great one thing. My one thing is an offensive touchdown in the first quarter. This is needed. The offense was so bad last week to only score two points. It's just, I know what that does in the locker room. I know how all those guys feel on the offense. They feel like they let the team down. They feel like they let the defense down and, and they did. And they have to show this week early that they're, this is not who they are. This is a much better team than what we saw last week in Calgary. And an offensive touchdown early in the game brings back some of that confidence. And you, without, without confidence, an offense is no good. And they, they lost their confidence last week. So we need to see that back again 
early offensive touchdown. First drive would be great, but it's got to be on those first two drives. How's this one going to end, JB? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I don't know, geez, at this point... It does feel a bit homerish for me to keep picking the Argos to win. Uh, but I, I, I do think that this is a, it's not a pivotal game. You know, if you look at the numbers and the math, if they lose this game and win in Edmonton, it still leaves a, a, a need to get a split against Montreal at the end. It's, it's not likely that that's not going to be the case. So it's not the end of the world if they lose, but I think you want to get that taste out of your mouth from Calgary. I think you want to start taking yourself seriously as a as a as a great cup contender which means at home against a beat up lions team with the alouette quarterback at the at the you know at the till it's time to take care of business i think that the argos bounce back they've shown that before i think they win uh 28 25 yeah, I think this is a Toronto win as well. And I actually think this is a blowout win. I think this is going to be as good as the Argos have maybe looked all year. And I think the Lions are sort of ripe for being that get right uh, opponent coming in from all the way across the country, really beat up. The Argos were embarrassed last week. The Lions had a, a much easier game in playing the Red Blacks. I've got 34-17 as the Argos double up the Lions. I feel I feel really good about this one. Yeah, I think it it's an important game. I, I think it's really important to win this game. You need to have a good result against a Western team. This is a team that beat the doors off you. You know, obviously a different team, but still the, the team that beat the doors off you early in the season. Um, there's a lot of fraud talk out there. First time back at home. I, I think... For the confidence of that team, it is really important to get this win, and and it does put you in the driver's seat for for locking down uh, that that playoff game, so that you know the final game of the season doesn't matter, which I think is is ideal. You win, you know, win this, take care of Edmonton, take care of that first Montreal game, and then you're home and dry, and you don't have to play anybody in the final game. Time for our world-famous fantasy advice. JB, we are in the playoffs in our league, so this is a pretty important one for you and I to actually get together in person to go through our fantasy picks this week. You know it's going to be good. This, uh, and, and yet, I don't feel 100% about this team right now. But uh, we'll, 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 see, we'll see how we do. Uh, we've got McLeod Bethel-Thompson at quarterback. Uh, so why do we go with McLeod Bethel-Thompson at 8,500 instead of Vernon Adams at uh, 6,000 and some change? Um, <laughs> because we're all in on McLeod. If, I think if there's been a, a, a brand that we have had this year, it is this pod is behind McLeod. So there, there you know, we're in for, in for a penny, in for a pound. I agree. I love it. If uh, we're going to go down, it's it's going to be it's going to be with our guy. And I think he, like he's I, he, even without the loyalty, I still think he's good value, and I still think he puts up. Yeah, it, and it'll be easier to play a team that doesn't have your playbook. Yeah, much easier. So we got him a quarterback. Uh, I like our running backs, Kevin Brown for Edmonton. He's been fantastic. I really like him as a player. If you don't if you don't typically watch the Elks, and I, I don't really blame you for that. If you do get a chance to watch this Edmonton-Winnipeg game, watch Kevin Brown. He is a fun running back to watch. And we got A.J. Olette as the other running back. 7000 His His price is creeping up. But he's a great fantasy player because of all the receptions that he gets. He's there for so many checkdowns. And he's running the ball well. And I feel like the rushing attack is going to be a, a real thing for the Argos this week. So I love those two running backs. Receiver-wise, we've got Tavares Daniels. And we're going to have to make sure that he's good to go. He missed today and yesterday. Uh, at practice so we've got some flexibility there you know we might be able to to uh, you know drop in somebody comparable I actually quite like Banks this week too and that certainly would be an option within this price point and we've got Keon Hatcher who is just really good value at 5,700 he should get a ton of targets uh, from Vernon Adams this week our flex play David Ungerer 
who uh, is a really good price, 2,700. He had seven targets last time out. That receiving core is really banged up, and so he should get that same kind of attention this week, and that's a really nice price for him. And then Montreal defense, I, I would love to have been able to afford the Toronto defense for this game, but they're at $4,000. They are the number one priced defense, and we just didn't have the money to be able to do it. So Montreal Alouette's at 3300 is this a winning lineup, JB? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It it's somewhere in the middle. So that it's not the most encouraging feeling heading in. <laughs> yeah, it's not much of a battle cry. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I loved it. That's what I guess that's what I would say. <laughs> he wished he loved All right. it. <laughs> I, I I'm happy with it. I don't I'm I get what you're saying, but I can't find a better one. I think it's the best combination. I, I think so. I th- yeah, I think so. It's time for our CFL picks. Uh, are you confident this week? These are tough games. I'm not. I'm not really a hundred percent on this uh, on this week with uh, how these games are shaping up. So there's one. I guess I feel good about, and that's the one I've already said. The Toronto BC game, and uh, you're going Toronto there as well. Uh, how are we feeling, Saskatchewan at Hamilton? Where are you going with that one? I like uh, Saskatchewan. Yeah, I like them too. This is a big game for both teams because it's like Saskatchewan ends their season with back-to-back Calgary and Hamilton ends with back-to-back Ottawa. And those teams are these teams are battling. Basically, whoever wins this game, I think is the front runner for that playoff spot, whether it's going to be a crossover or whether Hamilton gets in. I think the winner of this game is uh is you know that's that's where it's going to be decided. I know. I know, you know, like Come on, Saskatchewan! I, I just, I just have to believe that the team that I, I was behind for so long is is not going to just crumble. Look, Lou, winning in Hamilton on a Friday night is not easy, but their if their dream of playing a home Grey Cup is to happen, they have to win on Friday. So I'm, I, I, I think they're going to be fighting for the lives. I think they beat Hamilton. Edmonton at Winnipeg. I'll go first with this one. I I hate everything about picking this game. I a lot of me thinks Edmonton's actually going to win this game. Winnipeg struggled so badly in Edmonton. Plus, Edmonton. This is, I guess, their last shot, and it's pretty unrealistic, I guess. But they're still technically in it. Winnipeg and their magic number is one. So and there's there's so many games left. So I don't know. I I just feel bad about this, but it, I can't not pick Winnipeg. I have to pick Winnipeg at home over over Edmonton. So I, I don't love it, but I'm going with Winnipeg. I, I do love Winnipeg to win this game, but you definitely have touched on what is probably the one flaw Winnipeg is going to have to deal with heading into the playoffs is a month of games that don't matter. And that's a long time to play games that don't matter. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's a, that's a, that's a problem, I I think, for Winnipeg. I, I think that's a team that wants to play ball. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I think they take care of they take care of Edmonton, but uh, I, I I don't envy that scenario. I don't think you ever want to clinch first with a month to go. It's not just that they are going to have back to back buys heading into the West Final. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the last week of the regular season is their buy, and then they've got the buy in the first round of the playoffs. It's a terrible situation for Winnipeg. No, I I agree. I don't. I don't. I mean, it. It'll be interesting to see like whether they can overcome kind of classic football belief. But you know, I think most football coaches would rather fight to make the playoffs and you know have three weeks off but but i think they take care of business against edmonton and, and clinch it all ottawa is at montreal are you Ugh. going chalk on this one or taking a chance hmm. i i much like you in the last game i do think there is a chance of course there's always the new coach bounce guys want to play football next year ottawa is looking to you know who's going to stay who's going to go Guys want to stay in the league. Um, I think there's definitely going to be a new coach bounce. Is it enough to beat Montreal? I really, I'm. You know what? I'm going to take Ottawa because I want Ottawa to win. That would be perfect for the Argos. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going with Ottawa as well. I, I oh, what? Get off my corner. 
No, this, well, this is I had I had Edmonton beating Montreal last week. Like Montreal is trying to somehow lose. They they have this psychological issue where they feel like they don't deserve to be first place in the East. They did everything they could to lose against Edmonton last week. Unfortunately, Edmonton is more skilled at that than they are, and gave the game away in every possible way. Oh, that was so painful to watch. And I feel like they're going to give Ottawa opportunities, and Ottawa is going to take advantage. And I think that. It would be the most Montreal thing for them to to lose to Ottawa this week and really yeah, mess things up for them. I agree. I think that's ideal. I think if Montreal comes out and waxes Ottawa, um, I am deeply concerned as an Argo fan. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, make sure you get out to this Argos game. They definitely need your support. It's a four o'clock start this Saturday. Don't forget about the Pure Later Tackle Hunger Food Drive. Bring canned goods donations to uh, to BMO Field for the game. Uh, it's going to be a good one. It matters a lot to both teams. I'm excited about it. You can PVR the Jays game and watch that later, but get down to BMO Field. That will just about do it for us on this pregame walkthrough edition of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.